Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Mean O' Lion Media presents Pregnancy Pearls. Meet Dr. Nicole Plenty, a double board certified OBGYN and high risk pregnancy expert. She's brilliant, well researched, and feisty. Growing tired of seeing complications of pregnancy that could have been prevented, she wanted a way to empower women through knowledge because, as she says, all doctors aren't created equal. This quest to educate women birthed this podcast, Pregnancy Pearls, with Dr. Plenty. Thanks for listening to Pregnancy Pearls Podcast with me, Dr. Nicole Plenty. We have officially hit the one-week mark until Easter Sunday. So Easter is one of my favorite holidays, of course, behind Christmas. So I just cannot wait. And this year, I'm hosting at my house. So I have about a week to make sure my whole house is in order. Um, yeah, that just literally hit me right now because I really wasn't thinking about that, but I am living amongst boxes still, but that's okay. I'm going to unpack really, really quickly and get it together. So my mom also really loves Easter. And of course, she opened up all the containers with all the decorations. So we have all of our Easter pillows out. We have all of our little lanyards up. We have all of our yard decorations. So we are super excited about Easter. Why? Because he rose. Oh, yes. Thank you, Jesus. Some of you, unfortunately, will be in the hospital for Easter. Now, I always feel so bad for my patients who require prolonged hospital admissions, but I know it's the right thing to do for them and their unborn babies. And I have to remind them of that, too. But it still sort of kind of sucks. If you're not at home with your friends and family, especially on holidays like Easter Sunday, on that same line, we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about prolonged hospital admissions during pregnancy and if they're really warranted and if they are, how you handle them. Now, I've received several emails from patients who are in the hospital and have no idea why they're in the hospital or they want to know if they have any options to be managed at home. So I figured we should talk about that today. So when I say prolonged hospital admission, I'm talking about patients who require an admission for an indefinite amount of time or until delivery due to some high risk situation. So some common reasons that people have prolonged hospital admissions during the pregnancies are the following. You may have what's called preterm pre-labor rupture of membranes, abbreviated as PPROM or PPROM. And this means that your water broke early, basically. Now, there's an episode that I did, I believe in either season one or two about pre-labor rupture of membranes. Go back and listen to that episode because it was really good. But in a nutshell, you could require a prolonged admission if your water broke early because we really don't know when you're going to go in labor. The exception to this is if your water broke before you're considered viable, meaning before the baby has a chance of delivering, 
And usually that's around anything less than 23 weeks. You may not be admitted for a long period of time. You'll be admitted for about 48 hours to see if you have any signs of infection. You'll be counseled about your options, meaning do you go ahead and deliver depending on how dilated you are and depending on if you have signs of infection. And honestly, depending on the state you're in now, I mean, some states won't even allow you the option to proceed with delivery if you are a pre-viable or uh, a patient that ruptures before the 23rd week where there's not a chance of survivability. Some states won't allow that, but let's say you decide you want full intervention. You'll be admitted for about 48 hours if you're before the 23rd week. We'll monitor you for signs of infection. If you have no signs of infection, you'll be sent home and then you're readmitted for prolonged hospitalization at 23 weeks or at the gestational age or the time of the pregnancy where you are comfortable with us intervening to save the baby. What do you mean, right? Like, why would people not want to intervene to save the baby? So the earlier you are when you rupture, when your water breaks, the more likely you are to deliver preterm. So if you have a delivery at 24 weeks, that is associated with about a 50-50 chance of survival. But when we look at survivability at 24 weeks, the neurologically intact survival, meaning a child that will walk, talk, go to school with other kids its own age, meet all developmental milestones on time, is only about 10% of that 50%. So you're talking about roughly 5% chance of having a, a baby that is neurologically normal at 24 weeks and zero days. So some people don't like those odds and would rather be admitted or rather have full intervention starting at 25 weeks when they know that that neurologically intact survival, meaning the chance that the baby survives and actually is okay, it goes up to somewhere around 15%, 15, 20%. So they'd rather wait a later gestational age. And of course, the further along you are, the more likely the neurologically intact survival is for the child, okay? If you rupture later in the pregnancy after the 24th week, then, and you want full intervention, they will admit you at that time and keep you all the way until you are either going to labor by yourself, which we cannot predict with pre-labor rupture membranes, or until 34 weeks, whichever comes first, okay? Now, imagine if your water broke at like 24, 25 weeks and you are in-house until 34 weeks, that's a really long time of being in the hospital, okay? That could be nine to 10 weeks in the hospital. So that is what I mean by a prolonged hospital mission. If you have preeclampsia, that's another common reason that people are in the hospital for a prolonged period of time. And particularly if you have preeclampsia with severe features, meaning you have high blood pressure and protein in your urine. That's what preeclampsia is, just high blood pressure, vascular damage that we look for is protein in your urine without associated high blood pressure outside of pregnancy. If you have that diagnosis and your blood pressures aren't severe, your labs aren't abnormal, I mean, you have no evidence of kidney issues, your protein's really not that high, you have no evidence of your liver enzymes being elevated or anything wrong with your kidneys, which all of these things can be impacted by preeclampsia. If you don't, then that means you don't have severe features. And sometimes 
those patients can be monitored very closely at home and come back and forth to clinic twice a week. But if you have severe features, meaning you've had severe raised blood pressures at any time during the pregnancy after this diagnosis has been made, or any of your labs are abnormal, or your baby has something going on, like your baby's small, or the tracing or your heart rate, the baby's heart rate's abnormal, then you have severe features. And then this would mean staying in the hospital until you deliver, which is at 34 weeks, okay? So premature rupture of membranes, 34 weeks delivery. Preeclampsia, 34-week delivery. So if you are admitted at 32 weeks of preeclampsia, that's two more weeks you could stay in the hospital. Now, what happens if you're admitted at 35 weeks and diagnosed with preeclampsia? Well, you're just delivered. They'll give you steroids to help accelerate the baby's lung maturation. That's commonly given anytime somebody is at risk for a preterm delivery. They give you two doses of steroids, 24 hours apart, and then you're outright delivered because you're already over 34 weeks, right? So there's no reason to prolong your hospital stay. People that don't have severe preeclampsia, meaning you have mild range blood pressures, but all of your labs are normal and you don't have any symptoms like a headache or blurry vision or pain on in your belly over your liver, which is on the right upper side, then you are not delivered until 37 weeks. But most of these people, again, are not kept in the hospital all that time. They are kept at home unless there's an issue that they see that's pointing towards severe issues. Of course, if you have preterm labor, that's a reason for you to be kept in the hospital because we don't know how long it's going to take for your cervix to start to dilate again. Now, the length of this stay really depends on how dilated the cervix is and if there are any associated symptoms with this. So if you are dilated to two centimeters and you're not contracting anymore because they've hydrated you with fluids and giving you medicines to relax the uterus and you're chilling out for a couple of days, well, they may send you home. But if you're constantly contracting, your cervix is already over four centimeters. Those are the people that we worry about, right? Like you can cough and the baby could fall out. Guess what? You can't go home with that. You need to stay in the hospital. We need to make sure that you are stable. And that may mean that you're in there for a couple of weeks even. If you have either a placenta previa or vasoprevia, let me, let me break down the difference between those. A placenta previa is when the placenta is covering the opening of the uterus, which is the cervix. The placenta, remember, is the afterbirth. So if the placenta is covering the cervix, if you start to dilate, what happens? You start to have issues with vaginal bleeding and there's a risk that the placenta can separate from the inside of the uterus and deliver before the baby, right? The placenta should never be delivering before the baby. And if you have a placenta previa and you have issues with bleeding, then you need to be in the hospital because we can't really predict when you're going to have a significant bleed again, okay? And I always say, my rule of thumb for placenta previa is if you bleed three times, you need to be in the hospital. And I mean three like, hey, I was wiping and I had blood and then I stopped. So we admit you, we monitor you for a couple of days, you go home. All of a sudden you're at home, you have spotting again. You wiped, you saw bright red blood, but then you're not bleeding anymore. We monitor you, your baby looks great. The size of the baby's fine. Your blood count is stable. We send you home. If you come in one more time with any light bleeding, that means you're staying until you deliver, okay? Because 
something's cutting loose here. Okay, we have some vessels that are shearing away from the placenta. So we need to be a little bit more careful if you are constantly bleeding. So that may keep you impatient until you deliver. And most of the time with the placenta privia, we're trying to get people to 36 weeks, but we can deliver even as early as 34 weeks or earlier than that if you start having heavy vaginal bleeding. Now, the vasoprevia is a little bit different than a placenta privia and that a vasoprevia is actually the cord that's over the cervix. It's not the placenta. It's a cord that's over the cervix, sort of stuck down there by the cervix. And if you start dilating, that tethered cord that's down there can start to shear away from the opening of the cervix and cause you to have a very uh, robust bleed, okay? Can cause a very heavy amount of bleeding. And that can be from the maternal side and those vessels that are connecting the cord or from the fetus. We worry about it from the fetal side because it's the cord that's down there, right? So if the cord has shearing, then that means the baby is losing a lot of blood and that could put the baby at risk for miscarriage and also make the mom also lose a lot of blood. So those people are usually inpatient. Any amount of bleeding, you're in-house until you deliver, which we try to get you somewhere at around 34 weeks, but can deliver you as early as 32 if we're concerned about spotting. And even earlier than that, if you have any heavy vaginal bleeding. So these are things we individualize, okay, to, to figure out the right timing. How long do we keep the baby inside to try to decrease the time of babies in the NICU versus how long do we, when do we pull the cord when it's not safe for mom or baby because there's too much bleeding, okay? And then of course, if you have uncontrolled medical problems, like you have uncontrolled diabetes, you may have to be inpatient for a prolonged amount of time because we have to control your diabetes. If you have high blood pressure and we think that you are at risk for bad things happening like a stroke or a heart attack, then we have to keep you inpatient. If you have renal disease and we have to do dialysis on you to help with your kidney function, those are reasons to keep you inpatient. And of course, if you have an infection, we're keeping you inpatient for antibiotics. Some people have really bad blood infections and have to be kept in the hospital for IV antibiotics for 21 days straight. So those are what we mean by a prolonged hospital stay. And of course, there are several other reasons that people are admitted to the hospital for prolonged amount of time. But in a nutshell, those are the common ones. So if you have one of these diagnoses, just get comfortable, okay? And know that you're a hero. You are an absolute hero. You're doing everything you possibly can to keep your baby safe. And guess what? You're doing the right thing for you too and keeping you safe as well. Now, if you find yourself pregnant and in the hospital, here are my general tips. First of all, Let's stay focused, okay? Why are you actually there? So keep your mind on your reason for being there because your mind can start to wonder. You can start to get homesick. You can start to get bored and you really need to stay focused that you're here to keep you safe and you're here to also keep your baby safe. Take notes when your provider's coming around and know what specialties those providers are, rep are representing and write down the recommendations. So... For example, when I was in the hospital with Harrison, I was there for about two weeks, right? I had a large DVT and three pulmonary emboli, meaning I had a big blood clot in my leg and three emboli or blood clots in my lung. 
And I was a bad patient. Y'all. I was like, I'm ready to go home because <laughs> I wasn't focused on the prize, right? I wasn't focused on why I was there. But as the doctor, I have to remind my patients, hey, let's focus on why you're actually here. And so when I was in the hospital, I had an internal medicine doctor, a maternal fetal medicine doctor, a pulmonologist, and a cardiologist all rounding on me, okay? And a hematologist, if I didn't say that. But, you know, when you have like four or five different specialists rounding on you, each one of them are taking care of a very specific chunk of the problem. And sometimes it's hard to be the person that is sort of trying to keep it all together because they're like, well, this person says I'm clear to go home, but this person says I have to stay here. Well, realize that they're working on different issues while you're in the hospital. So write down the recommendations so that you know who says what and why. Next, if one doctor's plan contradicts the others, ask for clarification. For instance, I had a cardiologist that said, hey, your echo is good. From my perspective, you are free to go home. My hematologist is like, oh, uh uh-uh, you can't go home. Well, why is that? The cardiologist says my heart is good. I can go home. My shortness of breath is really not that big of an issue. But my hematologist is worried about me throwing another blood clot, right? That could really be debilitating or even take me out. So I had to put those together. Hey, cardiologists say I'm clear, but you're saying I'm not. Tell me why from your perspective I should be here, okay? So make sure you have clarification on different people's recommendations. Next, pay attention to your symptoms. If you start having contractions more often or you started to have vaginal spotting, especially if you're there because of vaginal bleeding, or you don't feel your baby move as much, click the call button and tell your nurse, hey, listen, I don't feel good. I usually feel my baby move actively around this time and I don't feel my baby. That way you're not waiting two more hours until they put you on the monitor at their ship change. You're telling them to put you on the monitor now so that you can make sure everything's okay with your baby now. You're telling them you're starting to contract now so they can check you and see if you're dilating more so they can know whether you need medications at that time. When you're in the hospital, you really do need to be proactive about your symptoms so that you can get ahead of any issue that may be coming. If you notice swelling in your legs, let your nurse know. And my general rule of thumb is if you're in the hospital, you should have at least sequential compression devices on your legs or or compression stockings at the very least because you're sitting for prolonged periods of time. So that means you are at risk for getting a blood clot in your leg that can move like it did for me to your lung and cause you to have issues with shortness of breath. Okay, a DVT or deep vein thrombosis is not something you want to get in the hospital. So if you feel like, hey, my compression stockings aren't on right. I you know, have numbness and tingling in one of my legs. I have swelling in one or both of my legs. Always be proactive with that and ask the nurse, hey, can you come and assess me? And if they need to get the doctor after they assess you, they will. And they'll they'll order what's called lower extremity Dopplers to see if you have any issues with, um, with blood clots in your legs. Now, if you start to feel ill, this can also be something that happens, especially if you're somebody that your water broke early and that's why you're in the hospital. You are at risk for getting an infection in your uterus because all the amniotic fluid that's there is just leaking out through the vagina. And if you're dilated, 
Anything that's in the vagina can now be in the uterus. So you're at risk for an ascending infection or infection that comes from the vagina up into the uterus. So if you start to feel like I'm really hot, I'm nauseated all of a sudden, and this wasn't like me, I feel chills. You need to let the nursing staff or the medical assistant know I'm not feeling quite well. So they know to assess your vital signs or check your temperature again. Do an exam on you to make sure you don't have any tenderness over your uterus. Put you on the monitor to make sure the baby doesn't have any signs of distress. All of these things are being proactive while you're in the hospital so that you can be as safe as you possibly can be. It's not enough for you to just be in the hospital. You need to be an active part of your own care in the hospital. Now, if you're feeling homesick, now this is the most common complaint I get from patients. Have people come by and visit you. I mean, COVID is like a thing of the past now. Most hospitals aren't even mandating masks anymore. Now, I still have patients that get COVID in pregnancy, okay? So it's still around, but people are not getting as sick as they were. The infection is not as populous, if you will. It's not as florid as it was before. So you can have people come and visit you in the hospital. You can FaceTime friends and family or my favorite to tell people to do is start a new hobby, you know, start a podcast like I did. Okay. Start a blog, learn how to crochet, do something that takes your mind off of just being in the hospital. Okay. Hospital is not jail. Okay. It is not. You are there because you are actually doing the right thing, not in jail because you're doing the wrong thing. Okay. So it's not uh, supposed to be torture. It's supposed to be a place to keep you safe. And you can also ask either the nurse or the medical assistant, hey, can I go outside and get some fresh air? And if you have a diagnosis where you can walk, they will allow you to go downstairs. If you have a diagnosis where you shouldn't be walking because they're, you're at risk for having a seizure in pregnancy or you're at risk for going in labor, then they'll put you in a wheelchair and they will wheel you to the balcony or to the courtyard or outside of the hospital for a little while. That if you have people with you visiting, they will allow those people to take you downstairs as well so that you can get a break in fresh air. Y'all, I've even done baby showers in the hospital and the balcony on the courtyard. Listen, we can get real creative with these prolonged hospital stays. Closed mouths don't get fed. So if you, if you feel like, Hey, I'm going to be here for a while. You know, how many visitors can I have? Can I have a gathering? Can I have a baby shower? Ask your nurse. What is feasible for you? Okay. You don't have to be, this is not like you're held captive, but you know, ask them what's feasible. What can you do safely to actually have a little bit of enjoyment while you are in the hospital? All right. So now that you know a little bit about prolonged hospitalizations and how it can affect your pregnancy, let's go to some questions and cases. Our first case is a 41 year old who is 29 weeks pregnant with her first child. She was recently admitted with preeclampsia and was told that she had to stay in the hospital until she delivered, which will likely be until 34 weeks. After reading about preeclampsia, she sees that many people in her mommy group were sent home on bed rest. You were consulted for a second opinion to see if she could safely be managed at home. People with preeclampsia always tell me, you know, doc, I feel good. Like, I don't even feel like I have preeclampsia. I feel good. Why do I have to be at home? Or why do I need to deliver my baby earlier? And I tell people all the time, issues with your blood pressure, they shouldn't have a feeling. 
If you're having symptoms because of your blood pressure, it's a problem, right? People that have high blood pressure outside of pregnancy, when you have symptoms of your blood pressure, meaning a headache, that's a hypertensive emergency, okay? That's showing signs of end organ damage. So people can't feel that they have high blood pressure. You can't feel that. You can't feel that you have preeclampsia unless you have severe symptoms, meaning a headache, blurry or double vision, pain over your liver. If you have those symptoms, those are reasons that you should not be conservatively managed, meaning we should not allow you to stay pregnant with those symptoms. Why? Because that's signs of in-organ damage, okay? That requires immediate delivery, okay? Even at 29 weeks, you would need to be delivered if you have those symptoms. So the good thing is you don't have those symptoms and you are a candidate for conservative management. The fact that your doctor is talking about delivering you at 34 weeks tells me that you probably have severe preeclampsia or preeclampsia with severe features, meaning at one point you might have had those symptoms or your blood pressures might have been severe range, meaning 166 which is the top number, or either or 110 diastolic, which is the bottom number. And if you're one of those people that used to have high blood pressure that high and they put you on medicines to try to get you conservatively managed, you're not out of the woodworks. You still have preeclampsia with severe features. Once you have preeclampsia with severe features, you don't go backwards and become preeclampsia without severe features, okay? That's like saying once you get diagnosed with diabetes type 2, you cannot have diabetes. That's not true. You can be well controlled with type 2 diabetes, but you still have diabetes. Okay. So same thing with preeclampsia. So the fact that you are talking about your OB is delivering you at 34 weeks tells me you probably had severe features. All patients with preeclampsia with severe features should be managed in the hospital. Medical legally, it is against national guidelines of the American College of OBGYNs. If something happened, like you had a seizure at home or you lost your baby, or you started having issues with a placental abruption, which means the placenta sheared away from the inside of the uterus, your OBGYN would have no leg to stand on letting you go home. I can confidently say there's no other way to be managed with preeclampsia with severe features, except for in the hospital until 34 weeks or sooner if you started getting symptoms or your blood pressures were not responding to high blood pressures or your labs became abnormal. You need to be delivered even earlier than that. Now, let's say that you don't have severe features, okay? Now, some would argue at 41 years old, you have a much higher rate of developing severe features than somebody that's 31 years old. I'm not judging you. I'm 40. I have a three-year-old. Been there, done that with the high-risk pregnancy. But people that are older than 35 have a higher risk of having complications in pregnancy and developing severe features. So even if you were somebody that did not have preeclampsia with severe features, let's say your blood pressures were very mild range and all your lives were normal, I would still keep you for a little bit to make sure you did not develop severe features before I sent you home because you're 41 and that's a risk factor for preeclampsia with severe features. So I would want to make sure you're as safe as possible. But in a nutshell, Seeing that they the plan is 34-week delivery without knowing anything else about you, I know that that means that you have severe features. Therefore, the case pearl for this case is patients with preeclampsia with severe features 
should always be managed in the hospital until delivery. All right, medical intern, what's our second case? This one is a question and it says, Dr. Plenty, I'm 17 weeks pregnant. My husband and I had sexual intercourse and I started having vaginal bleeding. So we went to the hospital. When I arrived, the doctors did an exam and ordered labs on me. All of my labs were normal. However, the ultrasound revealed a subchorionic hemorrhage that was four centimeters in length by 2.2 centimeters. My OBGYN put me on bed rest in the hospital. She stated that I will eventually be able to go home, but she did not tell me how long I would remain admitted. In general, how long should someone with a subchorionic hemorrhage expect to be in the hospital? First of all, let me say this. The sex did not cause your subchorionic hemorrhage, okay? Because people get confused by that. But the sex probably made the subchorionic hemorrhage leak, right? So a subchorionic hemorrhage is just blood that's between the two layers of the gestational sac. can happen in pregnancy, usually really early. And as you go through the pregnancy, as your pregnancy progresses, that blood will leak out and those two layers should start to fuse together, okay? It takes a longer time for those two layers to fuse together, but they do. And that blood can resorb or leak out, okay? So the sex is probably what helped it on out, okay, up there, but it did not cause it to happen. I say that because a lot of people blame their husbands because they had sex, okay? Or blame themselves because they decided they want to have sex. That did not cause a subcorean camera. So I just felt like I needed to say that for somebody out there that's judging their, their spouse or beating themselves up. Number two, you're going to be in there until you not you don't bleed. It's very hard to say, hey, if you have a subcorean hemorrhage, you're going to be in the hospital for two or three days. I can't say that because if you're bleeding in two or three days, guess what? We're not sending you home bleeding. Okay. So you have to be stable. People that have a subcorean hemorrhage, depending on how big it is, do, you do have a higher risk of miscarriage. So we need to make sure that this bleeding is stable and it's not early signs of a miscarriage. Okay. So if we, we have you inpatient, we're going to check your blood type and screen because some people that have certain blood types can have antibodies that develop and cross the placenta to attack the baby's red blood cells. A whole different issue, but it can happen with bleeding and pregnancy. So we have to make sure that that's not the case. Some people also have a lot of blood loss where they can drop their blood count and require blood transfusion. So we also have to make sure your blood count is stable and we have to make sure that the baby has a normal heart rate through this whole time. So because you are less than 23 weeks, meaning you're not viable, meaning if you went into labor, we could not intervene, unfortunately, to save this baby. We're keeping you in-house to make sure you're stable, okay? So you're gonna be kept in-house until you're not bleeding. And usually that could be a week, that could be two weeks. I don't know. It just depends on how much bleeding you're having and how heavy it is. Eventually, the bleeding should become like brownish spotting. If you have that and no bright red bleeding, then your OBGYN is likely to send you home. Once you go home, just guess what? You will not be able to have sexual intercourse because we don't want anything that could sort of push more blood out that could sort of scare us again. So pelvic rests are nothing in the vagina. Okay, you can be creative other ways, but nothing in the vagina. And you sort of taking it easy. So your OBGYN will likely take you off work, depending on what you do for a living. And we'll have you sort of take it easy in the house for the next you know, week or so until you follow up in clinic to make sure you're not having any further bleeding or the subcoronic hemorrhage is not increasing in size. 
So the short answer to this is we don't know. It depends on you and the amount of bleeding you have, but you're doing the right thing by staying put and staying in the hospital and making sure you are safe. All right, what's our next email question? This one says, Dr. Plenty, I'm 30 weeks pregnant and have a history of domestic abuse by my husband. He accidentally pushed me, making me fall to the ground and hit my belly. I started having cramping, so I was taken to the hospital. I registered using an alias so my husband wouldn't find me. Does this mean I will remain at the hospital for my safety? A few things. One, this is a really unfortunate event no one should have issues with domestic abuse, but um, it's not uncommon, right? Pregnancy is the number one time for domestic violence, okay? And it's when women are most vulnerable, it's when women are most emotional, and it's also the time when men are most abusive, to be perfectly honest. This is not the first time I will hear about domestic abuse in pregnancy, and unfortunately, it won't be the last the good thing is you did come to the hospital to get checked on. You're 30 weeks, so you will be kept for at least 48 hours so they can monitor the baby. They can make sure you're not going to have any issues with trauma, okay? And the issues we get with trauma is that you can start having vaginal bleeding because the placenta or the afterbirth can shear away from the inside of the uterus and cause what's called a placental abruption. So you'll be monitored for that. They'll check your blood count and make sure you don't have any antibodies. If you do, that's a different workup that they would need to do to make sure the baby is safe. And they also get a social worker involved. Yes, we always ask people if they want to be kept under an alias if they have a history of domestic violence. And luckily, you were honest about that so that the hospital and staff can protect you with an alias. And usually with an alias, whoever's visiting you has to use a code word to come in that only you know. And if they don't say that code word, then they can't get in. If people call and ask you for you by your name, they will be told that you are not at that hospital because you are going by an alias and not by your real name. The good thing is you are protected while you're in the hospital. Now, the question is, will you remain in the hospital for your safety? It really depends on the hospital and their protocols. Usually, once we get the social worker involved, they will help narrow down resources for you whether that is temporary housing for you uh, with family members that are not in the area, housing for you at a safe place with a friend or another family member, or whether that's going to a shelter, like a women's shelter. Um, they can help get you placed in, in shelters and, um, and or provide assistance, financial assistance for temporary housing and even help with job placement. We love our social workers. They help with all of that, okay? They help with all of that, them along with our case managers. In short, the goal is to get you out of the hospital into somewhere safe once you are deemed stable. The length of time you will stay in the hospital will depend on if you're going into labor, if you have any signs of trauma, I mean, the baby's showing signs of distress or you have issues with bleeding or pain, obviously you'll be kept in the hospital at that point for you and the baby's physical safety, okay, or health safety. But once you are deemed safe for discharge, then those social workers are already at work to figure out where's the next safe place to get you out of the hospital and into some home or some shelter. If for some reason they can't find shelter, then yes, historically, I have kept people in the hospital for their safety under an alias if we cannot place them. We cannot in good consciousness send you back home to an abusive situation. 
So our goal is to get you placed somewhere that's not in the hospital once you're stable. That is not that abusive situation. And if we can't find somewhere because there's a waiting list or there's a lack of resources, then sometimes we have to utilize the hospital that we have to keep you safe. So in short, if you feel like you're not safe, then you don't have to leave, okay? And you can say and be honest, hey, the places that I'm talking about, like going to my mom's house, he's gonna find me there. Going to my sister's house, I don't trust that she won't tell him he's going to find me there. So it's very important that you keep an open line of communication with your caseworker and your social worker so they can know, hey, you need housing outside of your immediate friends and family so that you can be safe, so that you're not in a situation where you're forced back into a domestically violent relationship, which can honestly put your life and your baby's life in danger. All right, I think that that's all the questions we have for today. And my medical intern is shaking her head. Yes. Thank you guys so much for listening to Pregnancy Pearls Podcast. I hope you've learned more about how to handle a prolonged hospital stay and when it's indicated. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to share with your friends, rate and comment. And if you didn't, you can save your two cents for somebody else's podcast. If you or someone you know has had a pregnancy complication or unique pregnancy situation, let me know about it. Email me at pregnancypearls at gmail.com to hear your topic or case discussed on one of our podcast episodes. Also, remember to follow me on Instagram at pregnancy underscore pearls and Facebook at pregnancy pearls. Also, feel free to check out the YouTube channel for more quick talks about pregnancy complications and the website drnicoleplenty.com for free pregnancy downloadables. And for goodness sake, catch up on the past episodes of the podcast. In closing, remember to advocate for yourself. You are your biggest advocate and no one knows what's going on with your body except for you. Thanks for listening. Bye. Pregnancy Pearls is hosted by Dr. Nicole Lee Plenty. Produced by Nicole Plenty and Janine Brunson Johnson. Executive producer, Ken Johnson. Find Pregnancy Pearls on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe and rate. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice for diagnosis or treatment of individual medical conditions. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with specific questions regarding a medical condition. Pregnancy Pearls is a mean old lion media production. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.